Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about faith. And before we do that, I want to tell you uh, this thing that I came across. There's a guy, his name is Chris Buck. Okay, he's a photographer. And he took pictures for a lot of like big name magazines and newspapers, stuff like that, that you would recognize. So he was used to having a lot of one-on-one sit-downs with some pretty big name celebrities. And he realized that in his uh, art of photography, there was this untapped market if he could come up with something that was just wildly creative because he's with all these big-name people. So he decided he was going to come up with his own project. He called it Presence, not like a gift, but being in someone's presence. And what he did is he was with these celebrities already taking their picture for something else. And he said, hey, can I do a little side project I'm working on? And what he would do is he would let them pick a location where they wanted to be photographed and he would give them 30 seconds to go and hide. Okay, and we've got the first picture coming up on the screen so you can kind of see what's going on here. This is Jay Leno, okay? It's not really Jay Leno, you get that. He's not in the picture anywhere, he's hiding somewhere. But that's him. He's telling you about himself, where he got this picture taken. All right, let's see the next picture. That's the golfer Jack Nicholas. His nickname was the Golden Bear, so I guess that's why he picked the bear. This one I think you're going to like a lot, this next one. This is Weird Al, the singer. <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me what he's doing, why he did that. All right, the next one is uh, Robert De Niro. Okay, he wanted you to know he's classy. He's staying in these fancy places. And my personal favorite right here coming up, that's Snoop Dogg. That's just perfect, right? I love that picture. Um, and, you know, when we see these photographs, if, if the people who he's claiming are in these pictures, if they're not really there, then that's nothing, right? You look at those and you go, well, those are kind of dumb. And, but if the person's really there, it's, you know, it's clever, it's fun, it's whatever. But we're taking the word of this photography. He had each of these people sign saying, I promise I was there. This guy's not just making it up. But sometimes I think it's easier for us to see something like that and take that photographer's word on faith than it is to read what God has written down for us to know about who he is and how we can more fully trust and love and know him. Sometimes uh, we struggle with faith. And so tonight we're going to take a look at a couple passages and talk about why that is. The first passage we're going to look at uh, is Hebrews chapter 12. And that's coming right after the famous faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which you probably know it starts out, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So this is talking about... uh, when we don't know what's going on, when we don't know the end of our story, faith is saying yes to God anyway. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of one after another. We see about Noah, we see about Moses, we see about Abraham, we see, you know, talks a little bit about Samson and these others who followed God when all they knew was what God was asking them to do, but they didn't know the end of the story. And we read through all these and and we look at these as great men and women of faith. Rahab's in there. We think, wow, these people, they did amazing things, but it must have been easier for them because they knew that God was going to show up. They knew that God was going to do this amazing. They knew their story was part of the Bible. 
No. They were regular people like us who trusted God in a way that we can learn from and that we can be more like. And so the author of Hebrews, when he gets done writing, he talks about all these other people that we don't even know their names. People who trusted God, but they faced circumstances in life where they were arrested, they were uh, stoned, they were murdered for their faith in Jesus. And on the heels of that, that's where Hebrews chapter 12 starts. It goes from talking about them, then and there, to us, here and now. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think that last verse has the key for one of the reasons that faith is so difficult for us sometimes. is because when things are tough, we grow weary and we lose heart. When we can't see the end of the story, when only God knows how he's leading and how he's going to work and he's going to move in our lives, we get burned out and we get worn down and we really don't know if we can just keep putting one foot in front of the other moving in this direction that God is leading us in. And we become weary and we lose heart. So when things are tough, sometimes it's hard to have faith. But the thing that's really interesting, and I love that uh, Pastor Scott talked about with the offering, that as things go really, really well for us, sometimes we find it equally hard to be obedient. Now, Moses knew this about human nature. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, Moses was getting ready to lead the people to the promised land. Now, you know, he didn't get to enter the promised land because he had been disobedient to God, and that was his punishment. So Moses, he, he leads them all out of Egypt. He leads them through the wilderness. And he gets to this spot where he knows he's not going to get to go on. And so he gives his farewell message. And we can find that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And what Moses does is he brings the Israelite people on this journey with him as he tells the history, the story of how God has been faithful, of how God first brought them out of Egypt how God brought them across the Red Sea, how God provided for them all the time that they were living in the wilderness and how he showed up and he met their needs. He reminded them that when they didn't have water, God did a miracle and God provided water. And he reminded them that every single day as they're out in this wilderness for 40 years wandering, God provided manna. God was constantly meeting their needs and they knew how desperate they were for him to show up in their lives. And Moses says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. He says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills. Now, I want you to imagine that you're 
the people of Israel in this passage. Because they've been wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. And so the picture that Moses is painting of the promised land is an unbelievable thing. They're hearing they're going to be in a spot where there's just water all around. Water's not going to be something they have to desperately search for, this resource they don't know where to get. He said, we're going to a place where water's everywhere. But it's not just that. He said, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Now, all this food that he's describing, these people that have been in the wilderness for all this time, some of them have never eaten anything other than manna and the quail that God provided for a short period of time. So Moses is describing this place that they can barely imagine. It's like living in a world of full color when they've only known black and white. And he's saying, you're going to get to this spot. God has brought us. God has been faithful all the way up to now, and now you're going to finally get to the promised land, the place he, he's been telling you about all these years. And it's going to be amazing. But it doesn't stop there. He says, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills, where they can actually build stuff. Because right now they're kind of living in little tents. They're living in little transportable things that they're setting up in new locations all the time. And he's saying, you're finally going to have metal. You're going to have rock. You're going to be able to put together a life. And he says this, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, what Moses knew about human nature is that it's hard for us sometimes to have faith when things are going really tough, but sometimes it can be even harder when things are going really well. Because when we start to succeed at a lot of things that we do, we can get confused and we can start to think that we're responsible for these good things that are happening in our lives right? That, oh yeah, I'm so smart. I was in the right place at the right time and I had this great idea and I was ready for this. I, I t- tried to tell people they wouldn't listen, but I was ready. And he knew that in those moments when God's been faithful, God's brought us all this way, it can be really easy to forget about him. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth And that's what Moses talks about here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. When we get everything that we want, when we're perfectly comfortable, when we have everything exactly the way that we want it to be, that's a dangerous spot sometimes because we can can start to lose sight of who God is and what he did in our lives. Now, something that I think is really cool is that after Moses... 
after he passed and his successor, Joshua, he started to lead the people of Israel. As they were getting into the promised land, God allowed the Israelites to cross uh, now a second body of water, the Jordan River. They crossed on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, now they're right outside of the place that God is going to give them as their promised land. Joshua told one person from each of the 12 tribes to do something really interesting. He told them to walk back into the riverbed that they just crossed over. And he wanted each of them to pick a stone out of that riverbed. And they brought it on the side that they had crossed over to, and they piled these 12 stones up into a big pile. And Joshua said, the reason that we're doing this is so that in the days and months and years to come, when your children see this pile of rocks that doesn't have any explanation, just this weird pile of rocks out in the middle of nowhere, they're going to ask you what that's about. And he said, then you're going to have an opportunity to tell them about what God did here today. And not just today, but ever since God brought us out of Egypt, this pile of rocks is going to be a way for us to remember what God did. Because if we don't find some way to remember, then we're going to forget. I don't know if you've tried to come up with a way to do that uh, in your personal life or in your home with your family. Uh, but something that my mom and my dad did as I was growing up um, is they made this thing that they called a miracle shelf. And so what it was, actually the idea is kind of something that's sort of becoming, you know, normal in decoration and stuff. But they had like basically a windowsill, a little shelf that didn't have any reason for it, just in the middle of a wall. And what they did is they put these little knickknacks, they put some pictures, some little pieces of kind of memorabilia that signified moments in the history of the Seaborn family when God showed up, when God did something amazing in the story of our lives. And so I can remember as I was growing up, being, you know, five, six, seven years old, I'm looking and I'm going, what is this shelf thing that's kind of on its own, it doesn't really fit with our house. What is this? And I can remember my mom sometimes, my dad sometimes, they would walk me by this miracle shelf and they would tell me the stories of how God had been faithful to our family. And so I can remember they pulled the first thing off, it's a little matchbox car. And I remember my mom telling me that uh, when I was one or two years old, I'm the oldest, so I was the only kid at the time, uh, my dad was working at a church and my parents didn't know, uh, you know, how they were going to make it by because their car broke down and they didn't have the money to fix it. And they said, we keep this little matchbox car because we want to remember someone in our church that heard about what was going on and they, they gave us their old car. And when we look at that little matchbox car on the miracle shelf, we're reminded of how God provided in a miraculous way that we never could have expected. And then I can remember uh, there was a picture of me as I, we got older, we're adding things to this miracle shelf. There was a picture of me and a guy that used to live across the street from us named Jason. When I was probably 10, 11, 12, Jason and I were best friends. 
And one day we had finished eating dinner and my brother, who's three years younger than me, he went outside in the backyard to start playing and he came running back in and saying, guys, guys, Jason's, something's wrong. We need to call the ambulance. We need to help him. And so we get up from the table, we run outside, call 911. And in the backyard, my friend Jason, uh, we had a tire swing and he had wrapped the rope around his neck. He wasn't trying to strangle himself but he passed out and I can remember walking out and seeing his face was purple and he was drooling and it was a terrifying scene. I'm 10 or 11 years old. And so my dad starts shouting. He's like, somebody, we need help, help. Someone call an ambulance. And while we're doing that, there was um, a guy that didn't live in the neighborhood, but he was taking a bike ride through the neighborhood and he was an EMT. His job, he worked, he rode in an ambulance, and he was the first responder at scenes like this. He thought he just happened to be in our neighborhood, but we know what was going on there. We know that God was showing up in that moment. And so this guy did what he could for Jason as we waited for the ambulance to arrive. And I can remember that night because not just that EMT, but those who showed up with the ambulance they told us, they said, I, we don't know if he's going to make it. If he lives, he's definitely going to have significant, significant brain damage. Um, he, he's not going to be the same kid that you know. And I can remember that night, all of us in our family, we huddled up. No one slept in our bedrooms that night. We all slept in our living room. And we stayed up late praying and asking and begging God to show up and to do, do a miracle to do something in Jason's life, to protect him, to, to heal him. And yeah, and a couple weeks later, uh, if you would have looked out the front window at our house straight across, you'd see Jason sitting out on his front porch. He had to kind of take his recovery pretty slow, but other than him being physically, you know, not really that energetic, you would have never known that anything was wrong with him. Because God showed up and God healed him in a miraculous way that all the medical people said, this can't happen. God said, yeah, yeah, it can. And so we had that little picture of me and Jason up on our miracle shelf to remember how God again intervened in the life of our family. And uh, the most meaningful piece of memorabilia for me on that miracle shelf uh, is a picture of my youngest sister, Anna, when she was a baby. Because uh, my dad, as we were at the hospital, he came out in the waiting room and he grabbed me and my brother and my sister. And he said, guys, I don't know exactly what's wrong, but the doctors just told me that there's a problem. As your baby sister's being born, there's some complications. We don't know what it is, but we don't know if she's going to make it. And we transformed that hospital waiting room into our own little prayer room. Just like we gathered in our living room and prayed for Jason, we gathered right there and, and circled up as a family and prayed and asked God to show up. God to do something amazing, to do a miracle that we could never expect or even hope to ask for. And a few hours later, uh, my baby sister Anna was born. Now she's 20 years old, I think 20 or 21, and um, 
she is so full of life and so difficult and so awesome, you would never know. You would never know. But we have that little picture because we could forget if we didn't choose to remember. And when we look back on all the ways that God has time and time and time again been faithful to our family, it's such a great reminder that the next extreme difficulty that we face, the next test of our faith, the next time that we don't know how he could do anything, how he could show up, how he's going to answer these prayers, we can remember that God has this track record of being faithful, of showing up, of meeting us in those moments when things were difficult, when we didn't know how he was going to help. We didn't know what kind of hope we should have. We can remember who he is and what he's done. And when we read through scripture, we find time and time again that this book right here, it's our miracle shelf. It's our memory of who God has been over the course of human history of all the ways that he showed up in the lives of the men and women of faith who trusted him, who stepped out, who said yes, even when they didn't know what things were going to look like. And we know that we can trust him. And so tonight, what I want to challenge you to is if you don't have a way to look back on the things that God has done, on the ways that he's been faithful in your life and in your family's life, I want to challenge you to find a way to do that. Because if you don't remember intentionally, then when things are really good or when things are really bad, it's easy to forget. Now, I don't recommend, I mean, maybe it's your thing, but you don't really need to go and put up some big pile of rocks in your backyard. If that would help you, you can do that. But maybe the, the miracle shelf. Maybe for you, you're more of a, uh, of a writer or a journal or so just keeping track, writing down, typing up documents of when God shows up in your life. For me, that's what it looks like. I have a little document on my desktop on my computer and um, the title of it is Cast Your Cares on Him. And every now and again, when I'm faced with some new care that I can't imagine how God's going to resolve this, I open up that little document and I spend some time praying and I spend some time remembering how he's been faithful. How the times I, I saw no way out of things, God showed up and God did something in, our, in my life. And I know that each of us in this room, we've had those experiences. We've encountered God. And we know how he showed up, how he's been faithful in our lives. But as time passes and we think back on it, it becomes a little bit cloudier, the details are a little bit grainier, and we don't exactly remember what happened. Find some way to remember so that you don't forget. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. God, we thank you. Uh, tonight for the reminder from your word that God whether we're going through things that are difficult right now and we 
face the temptation of becoming weary and giving up. Or God, maybe we're on the complete opposite side of that spectrum. We're at a spot where uh, things are going so good that we've almost forgotten how reliant we need to be on God. That when we don't have these physical needs that are immediate, we kind of just space out a little bit. God, we pray that you will help us to have faith. God, even when we can't or don't see you. God, we, um, we ask tonight that by your Holy Spirit, you'll strengthen us as we leave this place, wherever we find ourselves uh, on this scale of almost growing weary and almost giving up to being so comfortable and having it so good that we're in danger of forgetting about you. God, or anywhere in between, we pray that you will meet us, that you will remind us of all the ways you've been faithful, all the ways you showed up in our lives. And God, that those examples, those stories will give us the faith to trust you time and time and time again as we move forward in the future. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight I want to uh, invite you to stand with me. And um, I want to ask if there's anyone here who you hear us talking about faith a little bit, uh, but maybe you've never made that step in your life um, to completely and utterly have faith in this God and in this Jesus who we're here talking about tonight. Or maybe you've made that commitment before, but you haven't really followed through on it. You said you wanted to devote your life to him, but then, you know, things got busy. Things got in the way. You went back to old habits or you just were so comfortable that you kind of forgot about him. Uh, if that's you tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of prayer. And if you want to make a first-time commitment to have faith in this God who has proven time and again that he's faithful, or if you want to recommit, I want to ask you, I'm going to pray these words out loud. Uh, and if you can just pray along silently in your seats uh, to make a commitment or a recommitment to follow him. Repeat after me and, and silently. God, we come to you tonight and we were hurting. God, we know that you, uh, you can heal, that you can bring life, you can bring hope. God, you're in the business of making things new. And God, we've tried our own way. We've tried doing things selfishly and looking out for uh, us and doing things the way that we wanted to, not living lives of love and, and compassion and service to you. And God, tonight, we want that to change. We don't want to be in charge of our lives anymore. We want you to be in charge of our lives. We want you to be our Lord. We want to spend our days serving you and saying yes to you and trusting 
that when Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray and said, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we want that in our lives. God, we pray that you would change us. We pray that you would come and live in us by your Holy Spirit and empower us to do things and say things and love people in ways that we never imagined. God, we want to ask you to make us new tonight. We thank you that Jesus paid the penalty and died for our sins so that what separates us from you God, it's covered. It's covered. When you look at us, you see your children. God, tonight, we want to commit to that. We want to be your children. We confess our sins. We confess when we've fallen short, and we want to be made new. We thank you. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.